Hello, fully actualized version of yourself, listener. It is Dan from the Dan and Aaron Lycorama, now in 3D. And I wanted to let you know that this episode went long, as we do about a third of the time. And so this is part one of two. And before we get started, I just want to give a quick plug. Uh, This episode is brought to you by a new wellness-based life thrival system from the author of Unlocking Your Inner Sociopath and Five Steps to Eliminating Shortcuts. It is the new No Guts, No Problem Miracle Eviscerative Weight Loss Program by Dr. Dan Grubb, asterisk, not a doctor. Uh, Learn how by simply removing extra organs and pieces of organs that you don't need, you can lose up to 20 pounds. You might not get as many nutrients out of three feet of intestines, but here's the thing that doctors don't tell you, you don't need nutrients to live. That's the big secret that they don't want you to find out, the big lamestream medicine cabal. They're keeping it a secret. And you can get that book, No Guts, No Problem, to find out all about it um, by following the link that I hope I remember to put in the notes. Uh, Anyway, so here, live via satellite, is part one of this episode of the Dan and Aaron Lycorama. Enjoy. Hey, my name's Dan Grubb, and over there is Aaron Fletcher Smith. No, it's not. Yes, it Uh, is. I'm sorry. Is this... Has this line been infiltrated... This is Aaron Fletcher Smith's evil brother, Blaren Bletcher Smith. Oh no, not Blaren. Yes, I have an even bigger goatee. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Oh no! (laughs) (laughs) It's comically oversized. (laughs) A, uh, oh, goatee wig over your goatee. That's. Yes, exactly. Dastardly colored. Right. right. Uh, And this. (laughs) Is the dastardly Dan and Aaron like Orama? Dastardly music. I don't know what this is. I'm stopping now. My God, man. That was dastardly if you ever asked for it. My goodness, and so I did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take off my comically large uh, extra evil goatee now and just go back to being regular Aaron. Boom, boom. <laughs> you see, you just, the reveal! <laughs> you just drew a goatee on a wet bag of cement. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pardon, uh, pardon the quick creep, it's still me! Sorry, <laughs> oh, who could ever forget that catchphrase from <laughs> the uh, pre-war soap opera? That's that's mommy's gentleman friend. <laughs> Pardon the quick read, lash. That's still me. Ha ha ha! Yay! The amazing quick read man now available in retail stores everywhere. The- I don't know where this is going. <laughs> We're on a road to nowhere. Exactly. Uh, Actually, 
it, oh? it, it does dovetail nicely into what you're talking about, though. The amazing Quick Creep Man and other obscure oh. comic book characters, right? Yes, including non-existent ones like Quick mm-hmm. Creep Man. Yes. Um, yeah, so today we are talking about independent or alternative or underground or what have you comic books. Uh, yes. In many cases, the coolest ones. Uh, in some cases, not. We'll find out. And actually, depending on when they were made, the preferred nomenclature for these indie comics uh, sort of evolved over the years. So we'll talk about that, too. Are you ready? Then let's begin. Ding! <laughs> That's the, so you turn the page for your so looking you ghost storybook. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You're listening to this on a 45 in your parents' basement in 1984, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Either that or a uh, TRS-80 cassette tape as you, uh, you know, sit in the backseat of your parents' Lincoln Continental. Bing! <laughs> uh, well, I think we've established the running joke for this episode. Oh, no, we definitely have not. <laughs> So speaking of uh, outdated technology and turning pages, the generally accepted origin of underground. So before I get to that, what made me think of this is I spend every waking minute that I'm not like washing the dishes or doing my job or whatever. I've been uh neck deep in old comic books because i got one of the one of the that's uh, disgusting well um <laughs> dc and marvel both of them have apps where for however many dollars a month you get more than 20,000 back issues going like all the way back uh to their beginnings um, in the gross. 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, all the way up till I think like six months ago or a year ago, something like that. Um, and so I have been plowing th- I, through, uh, I've been spending my free trial period with, with one of them. Uh, <laughs> just like, oh, let me read all about the crisis. Oh, let me read all right. about, you know, ambush bug. Oh, I'm going to read all the Amazing Man comics, and uh, I'm going to read Who's Who, all these DC comics that I remember from when I was a kid. Uh, Before we started recording, I was telling Aaron, I'm up to about 1991. Um, And it's it's right about the time when everything gets very testosterone. Yeah, I was going to say, because, like, like, 90s is um, Death of Superman and... Then yeah. Batman gets his back broken and Nightfall, like, yeah. Yeah, everything is kind of quite unfortunate for the Justice League during that period of time, right? <laughs> yeah, well yeah, the the uh, the Martian Manhunter goes on a bender. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh early nineties was when everything got muscles on top of muscles and right. uh women wearing floss and turned around <laughs> so that their breasts and butts were facing the same way. These right, wild right. contortionists. The Rob um, Leefield era of comics. <laughs> yeah, Rob Leefield uh, and uh, yeah, Jim Lee, all those guys. And then also, I guess, 
implicitly, and yeah, Rob, but maybe Rob not Liefeld, directly. Who famously like, is bad at drawing feet. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> I, I guess, like to a lesser extent, would would Eastman and Laird be part of the I was, indirect contribution on that because of the muscly turtles? No, and actually, uh, actually, no, and we'll actually, swing and a miss, Aaron. Yes, <laughs> we're actually going to get to them. Oh, all right, all right. Um, yeah, they they factor into this. Okay. All right. Oh, cool. All right. So, uh, see, so yeah, I've been I've been uh, just plowing through old comic books uh, and loving every second of it because I'm a huge comic fan, and uh, I was just uh, filling in all of my all of my missing areas uh, and that I car- gave half a crap about. Yeah, and cards on the table like. That's one of the things that Dan and I definitely share is that um, at least 45 minutes of every uh, before we start recording phone conversation is spent catching up on what media we've consumed from either the Marvel <laughs> yeah. or the DC corner of the universe. And uh, I, I spend long uh, chunks of my conversational life with my friends glomming as much information to kind of patchwork quilt together what the hell's going on in the Marvel universe because I I love that probably in the course of my life I'll never be able to digest every piece of Marvel media to figure out what the hell's going on in the Marvel universe. <laughs> That's just exciting to me. Like I, I just love that it's like no matter how much I consume there's going to be a bit out there that I'll miss and yeah. it'll be that little square panel at the bottom right corner that says see issue 257 editor you know yeah, I'll yeah, miss yeah. that, and that's awesome. I love that. Yeah, there's always more, and it's fun. Uh, have you been watching uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier? Heck yes! Just watched the last episode last night. No I'm spoilers. Not give it any spoil it. Nope. No spoilers. It, but but oh there is a my God. in the in the fifth and sixth episodes, uh, there is a dynamite cameo from a very cool actress, and you're like, oh. Uh huh. And then yeah. the, she says who she is, and mm-hmm. if you don't know who that is in the comics, you're like, wow, cool, she's here, neat. But if you do uh-huh. know who she is in the comics, you're like, oh, no. Well, I don't know who she is, so I'm going to have to have you fill me in later. So that we're I'll tell you, yeah, those. offline, I'll tell yeah, you. Oh, tell man. me later on. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, like, I know oh, you're talking no. about... And Amanda and I both looked at each other and we were like, oh, that's kind of a weird cameo, but okay, you know. Yeah. yeah, so I'll need more info on that from you later. Um, But, so as much as I love all that... Uh, I also love all that. And Amanda Bynes, Keenan and this Kel, is all they were the best. That. This yes. <laughs> um, Sorry. Even more when, when you get a good indie comic those are way more fun because they are not like your everyday big two comic yeah you know the stellar career of amanda Bynes would have a word with you about that even more shame on you (laughs) you're fired Um, (laughs) i'll take it (laughs) yeah because you know uh a common criticism of comic of comic books is oh it's all just you know big muscle dudes beating each other up and you know for the first 20 years yes it was the 30s and 40s and 50s it was just you know it was muscle-bound boy scouts 
oh no, there is evil afoot. Let's right. get them. Pow, right. pow, pow. Well, the day is saved. Okay, yeah. then. Um, and that's what made uh, Marvel differ itself and stand out was the Fantastic Four had different personalities and the Avengers sometimes were dysfunctional and the X-Men yeah. were like, oh no, what's going on now? Oh my God, X-Men. Yeah. And uh, I... so, and everyone, and I mean, Spider-Man had like real life problems. Like he had yeah. homework and he, how, how was he going to pay the rent? And oh man, yeah. I got to keep my job as a photographer. Like he had real yeah. life problems. He couldn't just, yeah. you know, zoom off to the, uh, to the, you know, his fortress of solitude and, yeah. and check out his trophy collection. And, you know, the, the other thing that I, I have just so been enjoying about X-Men recently is, you know, I was mentioning to Dan before we started recording that um, we're watching the, uh, the, the 90s era cartoon with our girls at dinner right now. And there are moments where they will do kind of a spotlight episode or they'll do a vignette episode on a any given particular character i mean you know throw a dart at the dartboard and it's it's any of these mutant characters that have been persecuted for the fact that either they had the mutant powers or that you know their body color changed at a certain point in their life and now everybody's like mutants get out of my town and the girls go wow that's really terrible for them that's really sad and then my wife and i point at the screen and go that is a metaphor for racism. Remember <laughs> yeah. how we told you about racism? Remember Martin Luther King, the things that you learned in class? Remember yep. the idea of multiculturalism? That's it right there. Here is a version of that story done yep. for kids. And the kids' eyes, like, glass over into dinner plates as they look at the TV screen and they look back at us and go, oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah. And it and soaks then, in, you know. And then around the time... Uh, of that cartoon it be in the comics it became more of a metaphor for uh homophobia yeah and and now with the current stuff it's like some i mean there's so much like they're being more and more open with not just the g of lgbt but right you know being bisexual, right. having, being gender fluid, being yeah, whatever. Like I've got a bunch of yeah, friends they're on my really Twitter poking feed that, at that a are, lot of things. Yeah, I've got a bunch of my friends on on my Twitter feed that are um, folks that are in the process of uh, you know going through their gender transition or you know they're comfortable where they are. And there's you know there's moments where they'll tweet stuff and they'll say, um, so for years I thought that X Men was you know, only speaking to people about race and, and, and homophobia. But, you know, then I'm looking at some of these characters as they're metamorphizing into the body that they end up with at the end of their mutant metamorphosis. And I'm realizing yep. that this is a metaphor for uh, transition, for gender transition, as much as it is anything else. Yeah. And, and that's the great thing is that with these characters, you can go back and you can pull these stories of metamorphosis out of the characters and yeah. find reasons to harmonize with them. Um, and, and as a result, this series remains evergreen, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so anyway, comic books rule. So, <laughs> but yeah, for the first 
30 years or so, it was just muscle-bound clods punching each other right. and zapping beams at each other. Um, and uh, as we'll see, sort of whatever general direction the mainstream comics go in, the indie comics would do the opposite. And they would zig where DC Marvel zagged. Mm. Um, so the the generally accepted origin of uh, indie comics, well, specifically underground comics, with an X, <laughs> is uh, what were known as Tijuana Bibles. Um, they're called that because according to the uh, apocryphal origins, they were printed in Tijuana. They weren't. They were oh, printed weird. everywhere. Okay. Um, but it was like, ooh, these were smuggled across the border just to add a little danger and zest. Right. Okay. Interesting. Um, but basically, it they were porno parodies. That's exactly what I was about to ask. Yeah. And okay. they would be, it would be, you know, the characters, and this is back in like the 30s. Yeah. From yep. the 30s yep. through the 60s. Uh, yeah. And into the 70s, I guess. But it would, you know, you would have the the cast of, you know, Popeye or Blondie or right. Peanuts or whatever doing right. unmentionable things to each other. Yeah. And it was ha, okay. ha, ha. Right. And right. it was, you yeah. know, dirty fun. Right. This is uh, Mickey Mouse uh, stooping Donald Duck with a giant. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> With a gorge. Yeah. And there was... Uh, so, yeah, and it was, you know, dirty old men making dirty old pictures. Right. Which is, you know, whatever. Great. Have fun. You know, I gotta wonder, though, how much of that overlaps with the um, the Disney animators who would occasionally rebel and draw terrible yeah. stuff. You know, oh, yeah. Because um, I remember that was... That's what... The, everything that didn't get inserted into a movie or a cartoon was them like ha 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 look at this eddie yeah right <laughs> yeah, like, right right they were notorious for doing that yeah hey look i drew snow white with the boobs out you know yeah yeah, yeah. it's like well that has to go in the disney vault now <laughs> yeah 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 the nine <laughs> old it is men. our intellectual property <laughs> the nine old men were the nine dirty old men yeah exactly <laughs> anyway so yeah um, I, I, yeah it's just, yeah and I, it also I'm, it also you know the you know, the oldest art is usually, you know, naked body parts. Like, exactly. It's just, I remember, God, my when my daughter was. Because if you're gonna draw, draw horny. <laughs> when my youngest was, I don't know, like five, she figured out if she did a V with a line, it it looked. She called it a giny, and she would <laughs> she would draw giny's on everything. Oh, oh my god you're killing me <laughs> <laughs> and you know teenage boys spray paint penises on everything it's you know yeah whatever like you do like you do <laughs> um so yeah it's like that so and also uh so the first real underground comics with an x uh were like the late 60s right the mid to late 60s uh, a lot of it was in like San Francisco, um, and this was a lot of it. Like I said, it's a reaction against the mainstream stuff. So, 
in the 50s. And, and you're talking about these are like the real, real underground comics. This is this is a evolution out of the Tijuana Bible. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Imaginable. Yeah, this, okay. this isn't right. that. The Tijuana right, Bibles, right. you would get like, they would be like under the counter at the bar or at the bowling right. alley or the Elks Club or whatever, wherever. So this is, this is, wherever I men us, hung out. Right. So, so the indie comics, like legit like indie comics. Proper this is, comics. Yeah. This is like, I want to tell the story of a character, but I can't get Marvel to buy it from me. Or, a, or at a head shop at this point. Because oh. okay. the late right. 60s, you went to the head shop for your, for your, you know, your your hookah and your bong and your T-shirts and your lava lamps and your comic books. Right. Yeah. Are you sure you didn't go to get a second and third head just like Zaphod Beeblebrots? Yes. President of the Galactic too. Federation? Yeah. Well, yeah, obviously. But once you get yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, then you want your paraphernalia to go with the second and third head. Okay, right. that makes sense. You yeah. need your, yeah. your beads and everything. Right, um, right. So in the in the fifties, uh, huge public outcry, especially against the horror and crime comics, because it would be like, you know, like EC who did Mad Magazine. Besides Mad, they put out Tales from the Crypt, The Witches, Cauldron, oh, yeah, right. you know, all these like crime, blood and gut stuff. Right. Uh, and they were like, oh, my God, this is horrible. And <laughs> people went crazy and burned comics and said it was, you know, communism and the devil and all this stuff. Um, and uh, and so rather and to avoid uh, a, a McCarthyism type government censorship the comic book companies got together and made the comics code authority. Right. And it was self-regulation to say, okay, you know, a, uh, if a criminal does a thing, we have to show that crime doesn't pay. And you yeah. know, the good guy can't shoot a guy for no reason. And you know, right. stuff like this, similar to what Hollywood did in the, I want to say thirties. Yeah. Yeah. The code, the 30s, Hollywood code. Right, 30s through 50s. Because the, yeah, yeah. the Hollywood code ends up basically essentially being... It, it's not broken all by one movie, but I remember when I was learning my uh, the history of Hollywood class, um, Easy Rider basically stands out as the definitive moment oh, sure. that alternative directors uh, rose in precedence over the Hollywood code. That was, yeah, yeah, that was yeah. kind of the, the movie that gets point, pointed to as... And this was the point where the old Hollywood elites realized that they had written their own death sentence. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. And sorry, then you get the se- that was 69. And then you get the 70s where it's like, oh, God, another auteur has to yeah. tell me his whole life spiel. God, shut right. up. Right. <laughs> They're great movies, but oh, my God, edit. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I, re- I remember when the uh, the director's cut of Apocalypse Now came out, and it was an extra yeah. hour of three French people talking. I'm like, this is yeah. what? Oh my God! Shut yeah. up! No one cares. Yeah. yeah, in a similar vein, I remember for um, my. Uh, that being uh, said, I enjoyed of- the Snyder cut. Hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I thought it was a vast improvement. <laughs> I just I remember watching the Robert Altman various Robert Altman movies uh, from my history of Hollywood class, 
and I I just remember looking around uh, in the classroom and being like, is anybody else bored by this? This is like 18 (laughs) minutes of shots of people just hanging out. I don't care. We get it. 36 people arrived and Altman's going to use maybe three of them. Get the fuck on with it. You know, right. But, you know, different directors, different era, you know, whatever. What do I know? You know, Uh, anyway, editors are fantastic. Uh, Editors are great. Um, So. So anyway, so the Comics Code Authority happened. And so that put in all these self-regulatory rules in comics. Um, And so a lot of the underground stuff in the mid late 60s was a reaction against that for instance the probably the most famous one is uh robert crumb r crumb oh yeah he did a bunch <laughs> of stuff uh zap I comics have to thank you was for his introducing thing. me to him he was he's crazy yeah he did like uh mr natural and fritz the cat and right. he did like uh jazz album reviews and stuff um but uh oh wait or was that harvey p car who did uh, jazz reviews that was harvey p car i think um but it doesn't matter because it wasn't a comic so that's not what we're talking about we're talking about 1992 x-men cartoons yes um sorry i won't i won't i won't because i'll I'll sing the whole theme otherwise anyway so since it's like specifically anti-comics code uh, our crumb stuff had uh, it was generally him or an avatar of him some self-loathing nervous twitchy guy uh, walking around with self-doubt uh, looking for drugs and booze right. uh, really extremely horny uh, yeah. women with with like basketballs under their shirts and giant right. butts Right. Uh, yeah, it was uh, extremely sexualized. Uh, uh, lots of uh, lots of drug use. Um, also, uh, the fabulous furry freak brothers by Gilbert Shelton. Like the whole comic was just, oh, we gotta get some pot, and that was just them. Was like scrounging for for pot, and then right. being hassled by the police, and that was yeah. like the whole comic. Right. Um. Keeping in mind, you didn't see any comics like that before. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- it was like very sexualized, uh, very like drugs everywhere, uh, racial stereotypes. Um, it, it was it was like this was independent the way that you know a you know a, like a Hugh Hefner home video is independent right or, <laughs> or you know it's things that you would never see on a newsstand that's why you had to go to a head shop to get it because you know yeah. that is where you get your your stuff to smoke pot right and pick up these comics um and uh, Fritz the Cat ended up being a cartoon and then a sequel to the cartoon, which I don't think Crumb was involved in. I think he was involved in the first one, but not the sequel. 
And, uh, oh man, is that cartoon, it is, it is like Walt Disney cartoon level of like racist. Oh, weird. It's, there's all the black people are crows. Hey, get it? Mm. Oh, that's not so good. And they all talk in pretty blackface voices and Mm. yeah, it's. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's not so good. But I mean, it was oh, no, 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 we're independent. So if you don't let us say whatever we want, then you're a fascist censor man. Then, then it infringement was that, of freedom of speech. Yeah. It was that 70s mentality. Yeah, which what are you ca- kind do? of oh, yeah, white it, people. Yeah, which now kind of like unfortunately kowtows into that um garbage rebellion libertarianism. Yeah. Yeah, we don't have any of that anymore. <laughs> no, of course not. No, it's completely gone away. No, we fixed <laughs> we fixed that. Yeah. Um, of course we have. <laughs> the uh the brilliantly aforementioned Harvey P. Carr uh came up in there. He was a friend of our crumb and and uh as portrayed in the movie American Splendor, named after his comic American Splendor. No. Um uh P. Carr Picard was great because he did comics about, and it wasn't some like heightened version or anything. Mm-hmm. It was just like I'm just like some dude from Cleveland. Here's what I do. Here's what right. I think about when I'm at my job or walking to home or whatever. Like yeah. here's what I do, and right. various artists would draw him, including Crumb, and it just came out really interesting. You know, when most people write down their life story, who cares? Because most people are not interested, are yeah. not interesting. Um, but just something about the way that he wrote made it. Oh yeah, that's okay, cool. Yeah, thought provoking. Yeah. yeah, no, I and I I do have to thank you so much for getting me to sit down and watch Crumb uh, because that was such a fantastic movie. Or no, I'm sorry, American uh, the Splendor movie, American Splendor. Yeah, yeah, I love um, that movie. Yeah, it's fantastic. It, it was it's so inventive. It was so good, and it introduced me to this world that you're talking about now. And for that, I am truly appreciative. Of oh you doing yeah, that. yeah, yeah. And uh, oh my God, who's the actor? I can never remember his name. The actor who played Picar in that he played Paul John Giamatti. Adams. Paul huh? Giamatti. He's the yeah, best. yeah. Paul, Paul Giamatti. Yeah. I love yeah. Paul Giamatti. He's so good yep. in everything. Oh, the God, John yeah. Adams miniseries was fabulous. Yeah, he was so good as Adams. Yeah, I love and Paul uh-huh. Giamatti as Picar was so good, and it was cool where they would have them doing a scene, and then you hear cut, and then it would pan over, and there's the real <laughs> Harvey Picar and the yeah. real whoever was the other person in that scene, right? You know, his wife or whoever, yeah. and uh, and then they'll be sitting there. You know, complaining about the the craft services food or whatever. Right, like, right. Oh, wait, there's the guy. He was over there yeah. doing and the thing. And I remember Giamatti would look over at uh, the actual Picar during the movie and go, "Is is that right? Did, do you feel like I did that justice?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Picar would kind of nod and go, "Yeah, it's it's okay. You can keep going." Yeah, yeah, that's all right. Yeah, you did yeah. okay. <laughs> so oh, that's such a good movie. I love that mm-hmm. movie. It's mm-hmm. so uh, it's so interesting, yeah. Um, and just inventive. Yeah. Um, around that same time, uh, women's comics came in, 
uh, yeah. W-I-M-M-E-N, and then later W-I-M-M-I-N. Uh, women's Comics, again, with an X. Right. Uh, <laughs> was another an- one of these anthologies, lots of anthologies, where it was, you know, I mean, you get your friends together and, oh, you got one? Cool, all right, we'll put that on page six, and I got page seven. Who's got, is, do we have an eight? Do we have a page eight, anybody? Yeah, right. You know. And uh, when you get enough together and you get enough money to print 500 or whatever, you yeah. make a, you print. Um, and so this was one of those. Uh, it was uh, some of the main folks were uh, Patricia Moodian, uh, Trina Robbins, uh, Aline Kaminsky-Crum, who later right. married our Crum. Um, that started in 72, uh, women's comics. And that was like... It was all women artists, all women creators. And it was like hella feminist, which is yeah great. Uh, and I, I think it was another, uh, I was going to say, I think it was like uh, some, like a lot of them out of the Bay Area, but I don't, I don't want to say all the contributors were because I might be wrong. Right. But, um, but yeah, and it was, you know, like, you know, it was general feminist issues of the early 70s, uh, you know, complaining about jobs and, and being objectified and sexualized and, you know, hey, I, you know, I got a brain here. And yeah, yeah, just, uh, you know, being a human being when the world right. says, no, you're not. Shut up. Right. And this is pragmatic, uh, like. Here, here are real women's issues being raised in independent comics uh, almost 30, 40 years before they become part of the narrative that ends up in the Marvel DC. Well, if you're talking about 70s, then I guess it's maybe 10, 15 years. Because by the mid-80s, you're seeing this in X-Men and in some of the avengers uh female characters and stuff but yeah it's definitely and like a, de- a decade worth of delta at least a lot of the that you see like in the 80s is you would have a, uh, a female character make a very good point yep. <laughs> and then one of the male characters you know guy gardner or somebody who's like hey this is an asshole would be like yeah. some loud mouth ah shut up ah, women hey you right. dumb broad Right, and that's uh, that's also like one of the most um, and like you could be like, oh yeah, yeah, the dumb asshole said that. Cool. Right. So right, they're agreeing with him, but it's also like, <laughs> yeah, you told her. So it's mm-hmm. like whatever you're coming into it with, you see yourself mirrored back. So it's not yeah. that helpful in the end. <laughs> yeah, it ends but up kind of deflating. See for effort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was another thing that I noticed is that a lot of that 80s to 90s era where the women would make legitimate, the, the, the female characters, uh, especially, and I'm sorry to keep focusing on X-Men, but it's the, the it's the one that I keep thinking about because i you know thinking about the Claremont comics. The characters would make a point about mm-hmm. the, um, uh, how women were thought about or how women were treated in terms of, uh, you know, um, employment or uh you know pay grade and stuff like that and they would make this great point and it would be like maybe one paragraph or it would be like a series of one-liners and then they would just move on to the next bit of the story 
and yeah. and there would be like it's cool that that was in there, but the speed at which they would move away from those moments, it was good that those that those things got said, but they would move away from it with with such speed because with especially with X Men, you had to pack so much into every episode that it was kind of like you got this half second of awe, and then you're right on to the next thing. So yeah. you know. Although there was the impact of saying it, there was also that exactly what you're saying, kind of C for effort. It's like, okay, well, you got it in there, but <laughs> is that really the way you wanted to handle that? You know, and with especially X Men was every issue or every episode was a very special episode or a very special issue. There was yeah, yeah. I mean, every month, you know, the 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 cliche self-referential joke was you know welcome to wherever hope you survive the experience you know there's mm-hmm. just they threw that in on the first page of every issue almost because right it was oh yeah it's constant you know uh peril and soap opera i mean it, yeah. it really is the uh as jay and miles explained the x-men uh that podcast starts the, the greatest superhero soap opera. It really is. Uh, everything is heightened. Um, something that is the opposite of a soap opera is uh, Bill Griffith was also one of these underground comics guys. He started doing Young Lust, and then around the same time, he would started doing da-da-da, Zippy the Pinhead, which oh, I yeah. love. Yes, I love yes. Zippy the Pinhead. It's so yes. weird. So yeah, he's been doing that. He did. I mean, since '71, right? He did Zippy the Pinhead. Um, I uh, I grew up reading the Washington Post comics page, and I'd be like, okay, yeah, Garfield, yeah, Peanuts, yeah, Family Circus, Hagar the Horrible, yeah. okay. And I right. get to Zippy, and I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That was weird. It was okay. so weird, too. Yeah. Wait, was I supposed to... I'm like nine. Was I supposed yeah. to get that? <laughs> right, 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 right. And then you're like, yeah, you're, you're sitting there pouring over the two panels of Zippy the Pinhead you've been given, and you're going, did I... Is there... Wait, is that a joke? Is, it, <laughs> is, there, is there levels to this joke? Am I supposed <laughs> to understand this? You know, and then you sit there and you obsess over it for like you know, the next two and a half days and it becomes less of a joke and more of like an earworm, a mental earworm. And you're like, it, it, it zippy stuff like resurfaces five to seven years later. And you're like, Oh, now I understand the context behind this. He made a yeah. joke about Bader Meinhof phenomenon and here it is. And now I understand it, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> anyway, sorry. Um, so, so that's sort of like the, mid 60s to mid 70s is the underground comics era right and like i said a lot of drugs a lot of sex a lot of uh porn or almost porn um a lot of uh oh my god here's me and my anxieties um and which was like i said the opposite of what was going on in mainstream comics which were very clean clear cut good good guys are good bad guys are bad mm-hmm. you know white hat black hat like from right. westerns um and uh and so yeah it it, it was a, a very much they're doing this we're doing the opposite because it was sort of 
if you think of like sort of the the think of it as a marketplace that's where the vacuum was right there was no for a while except for these porno Tijuana Bibles there was no underground comics yeah. it was here's right. what you get at the newsstand and that's it you know and the, that's all uh, and so they're like well wait a minute I can and it's it's you know when you first figure out it's like watching a kid learn how to tell a joke right once a little kid figures out the joke structure it's like hey what do you call a booger on an uncle it's <laughs> it's it's poo poo time like, what were you talking about oh you're just being gross okay and yeah. it's like it's just unleashed id right and it's it's you know with the except you know not all of them obviously like women's comics were not hey butts and boobs get it it was you right. know actual thought but there was a uh, besides its own thing, it was also like looking at the underground comics being like, wait, this is all we got? We can do better than this, right? We yeah. can do better than, <laughs> than you know, boobs and pot. Right. We, we, we can do better, guys. Yeah. Uh, and so after that, you start to get the sort of second wave, which was alternative comics, became the sort of preferred name. And this is like mid-70s through the 80s let's say yeah and this is where you start to get a lot of things that are still going today mm -hmm. um a big one from then was uh love and rockets by uh the hernandez brothers okay this was uh it was gilbert jaime and mario hernandez mario backed out so it's mostly gilbert and jaime it's like almost exclusively Gilbert and Jaime. All right. Um, and so these are three guys and they did like a zillion different storylines with all these different characters. And sometimes they intersect and sometimes they don't. And sometimes you meet a character and then 10 years later, character A bumps into character H and you're like, oh, that's crazy. They met each other. Cool. Right, right. Um, and so, and it's like wildly renowned, like, yeah, people love it. They're like the velvet underground of indie comics. Like right. people go bananas for love and rockets, rightly so. Um, so Gilbert's stuff is, uh, set in Palomar and a lot of times it's called heartbreak suit. Cause that was like one of the big storylines. Yeah. Um, and so it's uh, uh, Palomar is a fictional South American uh, place and it's kind of like magical realism. So it's right. mostly realistic. And then like, whoa, that happened. Wow. Cool. Wacky. Um, and Jaime is more the ones that I've seen um, just because of my own personal preference. Uh, that's um, Hopper's 13. Uh, also known as the locas, which is uh, Spanish for crazy women, locas. Okay, uh, all right. And that's, uh, it's mostly like Chicano characters uh, in the uh, California punk scene, the like sort of L.A. SoCal punk uh, scene. Okay, all right, all right, all right. 
And so that was a lot. It was like really big in the 80s was them. And then they would, you know, they would go away for a few years and then, oh, hey, we did more. Check it out. Um, And so those two and like Gilbert's sort of universe is one and Jaime's universe is sort of another. And it would just be like, oh, who is it this month? You know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) who did it this time? Um, and yeah, just everyone really loves it. It's, you know, smart and clever and it, it's one of those things where there's so many characters and each of them are different. Right. That it's like if a soap opera was clever or if like, I'm trying to think of something with a million characters in it, but all the examples Um, I have are really stupid. Yeah, I but, I was gonna throw out the Star Trek universe, but I mean that's that's another thing. Well, yeah, you could do stuff. Yeah, yeah. So on, um, you know, in the next generation, you have these like thirty characters who are all right. different and unique, and then you have you know D Space Nine. You have another thirty characters with different viewpoints right. and stuff. Yeah, and then. Oh, after five years. Oh, hey, they run into each other and they met. That's cool. It's yeah. you know, it's yeah. like that. And you're like, wow. And they rub man. elbows and yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's that level of like, oh wow, cool. This whole thing that I've kept straight is now forming, blending into it. Cool, neat. Okay, so. So yeah. That's, holy God, I just googled, Love and Rockets, and there's a million of them. Holy shit, I have seen. Love and Rockets all over the place at every comic book store I've ever been to. Yeah. But it yeah. never so it never soaked in. Oh wow. It's so wild how like this has surrounded me for so long every time I go into a niche comic book store. Sure. And I just never but I've never read it. It was just they were always there. You, the the posters would be there. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like I'm having multiple waves of flashbacks to multiple comic book stores some of which you and i frequented together as buddies mm-hmm. um yeah like i i've seen all of these album covers or not album but uh these comic book covers before it's just that it never yeah that's awesome that's okay. yeah all right sorry sorry go on no 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 you're good um around the same time uh, a couple of sort of sword and sorcery I won't say parodies, but uh, Takeoff's uh, Elf Quest by Wendy and Richard uh, Pini, P-I-N-I, and Cerebus by Dave Sim started uh, around the same time in the mid-70s. Right. Um, and they were both self-published, so, like, that's indie as hell. They're right. Um, and so Elf Quest is more... They were both the sword and sorcery thing, because like this was the time in the mid seventies, uh, like Conan, Conan was a big comic book, was a big seller, okay. very popular. Um, what's the guy's name? Francesi or something? Who does all the naked fantasy paintings? Franz Frazetta? Or no? Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. yeah, Frank, yeah. Frank Frazetta. Sorry. Frazetta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's you know he was getting big at that time. It was a it, it was a big popular thing, and so they were 
ElfQuest was more like, okay, but what if that, like, wasn't so naked? Yeah, And right. wasn't so testosterific? Right. Um, and Cerebus is... He starts as a barbarian, and he get he kind of like chills out over the years, um, and that is more like sociological, um, right? Maybe more satirical, dealing with uh, sort of worldly issues. Yeah. Um, and and you know both are, again, everything I'm talking about is like wildly acclaimed. I'm I'm not giving you a lot of duds this episode. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's funny because like I've I searched Love and Rockets and then um that ended up having me jump off to um what was the other one? Um <sighs> Loka's in Love, which I guess is the 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 break off from Love and Rockets and yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, anyway, sorry. Mm-hmm. It's cool as um, hell. Oh yeah, and there's Cerebus. Yeah, this is yeah, another you've one. Seen where, that guy, right? The yeah, where I've like... seen Cerebus. Yep. And yet I never read it, but I've seen yeah. that comic book cover at like every comic book store I think I've ever been in. Yeah. 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 Oh, um, and you know what just popped up? Is I know this is one of your favorites, fucking Flaming Carrot. Oh, dude. Yeah, I'm about to get there. I love Flaming Carrot. Okay. All right. I didn't mean to take your um, thunder. I apologize. You're fine. You're good. Um. So around that same time, two people meet in college at a Evergreen State College in, let's say, Washington, I believe. I think right. Washington. I think it's in Seattle, who became big deals. Matt Groening, Mr. Simpsons, oh, and yeah. Linda Berry, who I adore. Um, okay. So Matt Groening, this is... 10 years before he started doing The Simpsons on Tracy Ullman. Right. He did Life in Hell, which is a great comic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it's all these bunny people. Um, right. And it's, I love it. I love Life in Hell. And him and Linda Berry, Linda Berry was doing, um, most of her comics were these two characters, uh, Marley's Mullen and Ernie Pook. And, uh, Linda Berry and Matt Groening both got editor gigs. One in Chicago and one in, I think, L.A. I think Matt Groening was in L.A. and Linda Berry was in Chicago. Right. And the story is that the Chicago one, the Chicago Reader never published L.A. artists. The L.A. Reader never published Chicago artists. It was All just right. this, like, unwritten rule. Oh, like East Coast, West Coast. Yeah, but they okay. were, like, friends from college. All and right. so they're like, oh, hey, you got me some cool stuff? Oh, yeah, I'll put it in. Yeah. And they put each other's strips in, e- in their, uh, the things that they were editing. Uh, and so, the, and so the, they helped each other get successful. Right, right. Um. Matt Groening, everyone knows the Simpsons, so he doesn't need any help. But uh, right. Linda Berry is cool, L-Y-N-D-A. Um, after doing these comics for, you know, however many years, now she uh, teaches. She teaches writing. She teaches uh, drawing and stuff. Right. Um, she's back in Wisconsin where she was born. And uh, she 
received a MacArthur Fellowship, I think, oh, two neat. years ago. Oh, that's cool. Uh, which is fabulous. It's the, the so-called Genius Grant. Right, right. Um, and uh, I, I found her... I forgot, how did I find out about her? I'm trying to remember how I learned about her. I really yeah. try to avoid the word discovered because you didn't discover shit. Shut up. Yeah. Um, but when I found out about her... I, like, came into knowing about them because it's much more humble. Yeah. I mean, they were over there doing a great job, and then I stumbled on, oh, hey, cool, this thing yeah. that you've been doing for 40 years. Great. So I know um, that I have either scrolled through or read through or flipped through Making Comics by Linda Berry. Now that I'm yes, looking at the Google searches for that's it. That's what I was going to talk about. I love I so her book, Making Comics. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. It is so freaking good. I got a copy of it, and I am just in heaven every time I read it. It's, it's what she uses for her class. Right. And it's it's a lot of the lessons she uses in her class and it's so yeah. it's so inventive and right. it's and it's so like no like you can do this but yeah. I'm just uh, I don't have any acrylic paints so what? it's like I, I never learned how to do watercolors or take an right. anatomy class or draw a naked person yeah. like no it's fine you can do it just yeah it's cutting the human it's cutting the the uh, imposter syndrome out of making comics. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because I'm looking at um, I'm looking at her her yellow notebook paper uh, bit. Yeah. Uh, out it's of all it, written and, on legal pad. Yeah, and I, it's this. I know I've seen this before now. Yeah. Yeah, I've I definitely posted some some pictures on my Instagram, so you might have seen some of it there. Yeah. But like one of the exercises is like, is like okay, everyone knows what Batman looks like. So right. draw Batman in, you know, a minute. Take a minute right. and draw Batman. And right. then you draw Batman in 30 seconds. Then you draw Batman in 15 seconds. Then right. you draw Batman in five seconds. Right. And, it, and you see how you naturally break down the, the character into its core parts. Yeah. Like, what are the little facets of it that make this collection of lines Batman right and it's really cool and then she you know she's like draw yourself as Batman you know and then yeah. what did you what did you do today act like Batman did it right <laughs> <laughs> which is such a cool like oh yeah okay yeah. I don't know what to do a comic about okay well do your weekend as yeah. Batman now it's yeah. a comic oh okay yeah. cool <laughs> <laughs> It's just such a like, oh, yeah, that would totally work. If you're teaching someone yeah. how to make a comic, that would help. I'm totally picking this book up now. The more yeah. I look at the uh, the Google image results, I'm, I know oh, yeah. I have Order either. I, I know I've either ended up with this in my hands or a girlfriend had it or something. But I could swear like, well, this... I doubt it was a girlfriend because it's only it only came out a year or two ago. Oh, okay. Well, so if you had a girlfriend Barry, but... last year, then you and Amanda have some discussions to be had. No, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> but it does. I could swear I've seen her art before. Oh yeah, and yeah. I could swear I've seen it back uh, in the college era, 
and I'm just trying to figure out. Oh, I got what you. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure seeing. you did. Yeah, her yeah. the 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 girl with the glasses and the pigtails and yeah. zits, Marley's. She uh, yeah, she's been like a popular uh, alternative character going back right. to the seventies, and and Barry insists that it's not. Yeah autobiographical yeah and I <laughs> it's see, like I no see it's the, not me it's just some kid shut up <laughs> i see the frame the exercise draw yourself as batman that's great yeah yeah i'm totally curious about this now i gotta pick this up this is awesome. i think you know i my... bet the girls would love this too oh this it's cool. awesome oh yeah 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 definitely get a copy yeah. from your local comic book store if you can yes um, um what i think my favorite marley's is uh there's what is it it's like she's she's uh doing a dance and she's and she says there's a couple really good ones that it's like you know if you i i wish i can't remember what she said but something like if you kick butt dance like this or whatever and there's (laughs) one she has a little dog and the little dog is is reading a book right oh god it's i'm i'm gonna I gotta look it up because it's so funny. I'm sorry, so I'm gonna just like edit this part out. <laughs> You're totally fine. I mean, I'm sitting over here, scrolling through my phone, looking at uh, images uh, for uh, basically anything Linda Berry cartoonist to see. Uh, it, this is another case of, especially with Cerebus, I was like, oh my god, I know I've seen that, but now yeah. I'm like, now I'm looking at all the Linda Berry stuff and. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what it is I've seen. Um, but I guess it's just one of those where I've seen her art enough in general. I definitely know that wherever I saw it, I saw it while I was at college, while I was at Indiana, which would have been 99 through 2003. So I don't know whether it was her in particular or whether it was just her art style uh, had a had an impact or an effect or something like that on you know, the folks that, or the, the, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm kind of petering off here, but yeah, that's fine. I love her stuff. It, it, it's very familiar to me. Yeah. It also reminds me a lot of, um, I don't know. It reminds me of the, uh, the storybooks there. There was a genre of storybooks and kids books that look very similar to Linda Berry's art. Mm. Unless unless she actually did those books, and I don't think it's, so. It's yeah, I'll have to. Yeah, have to I'm thinking. Later. Yeah, a lot of like '80s, a lot of like '70s and '80s uh, kids lit maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Had this Kid had books. The, had a, had a similar look. Anyway, yeah. I'm deviating. I'm 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 driving your your. No, no, you're direction. great. I mean, we're we're talking. It's what we do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I found the I found the picture that I love so much. It's this this fluffy poodle looking dog. It's like a black poodle, very fluffy and squiggly lines. And yeah. uh it the dog's holding a book that says on one cover it says A Tale of Two Sausages <laughs> and then on the other, Poems of True Love and Ham. And the, <laughs> and the dog says, Wow, hey, how 100% number one. 
That's awesome. And I just love it because, like, that's, yeah, if you were a dog, yeah, that's what you would read about. He's like, yeah, yeah. this is great. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. This is the best thing I ever read. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, she's she's terrific. And I really think, I mean, her her Marley's comics and her other comics are all great, but making comics is such a, it's one of the best things I've ever read. I just love it. Yeah. And when I was thinking today, uh, I was like, what do I want to talk about this week? And yeah. I was like, man, you know what? I was like, what's really awesome that's not like a band or a movie or a TV show? Right. Uh, and I was like, man, you know what's awesome is making comics by Linda Berry. Yeah. I don't think I could talk about that for 45 minutes or an hour. <laughs> okay. But All I right. could talk about indie comics because I like a bunch of them. Yeah. Um. And uh, actually, yeah, we're we're coming up on an hour, actually. So I okay. think I can I think I can cram a lot of the rest of this. I don't know. Maybe we'll hit. Maybe we'll call it part one here in a little bit. That was part one of this episode of Like a Rama. Uh, part two will come out in two weeks from whenever this is posted. So be on the lookout for that with special guest star Harrison Ford as Skippy the Talking Kitty Cat.